Hi, I'm Emily Reed Daniels, and I'm the founder of Hear This Now and the author of The Regulated Classroom. Thank you so much for joining us today for our convos during COVID, which has been a conversation series we've been hosting for the last several months and have enjoyed amazing guests like Dr. Steve Porges and Dr. Goldie Muhammad and many others. If you're interested in this conversation and others like it, please visit us at www.hearthisnow.org, H-E-R-E-T-H-I-S-N-O-W.org. Welcome to our show. Morning, Chris. Good morning. Hey, thank you so much for this latte. I can't tell you how nice that was to come into the office and find that here. <laughs> right? Sometimes you just need a little Friday pick you up. That's true. That is true. So I was looking as we were uh, getting ready to get started this morning. When was the last time we podcast? Was that before Christmas? It really was. It was oh. long before Christmas, actually. Oh, no. I think we recorded the first one um, like Thanksgiving, right around then. <laughs> I know. And then what happened? We went bye-byes. I know. The time flew by. It it's did. crazy with the holidays, but I'm just sitting here thinking of all the, co- I know we've, we've been intending to do this for weeks. Well, and we've just tried to, you know, we've just had a lot of different things going on between right. trainings and our new program and we're getting ready to um, you know, sort of announce our third annual trauma responsive schools conference. And so there's just been a lot Yay. of, you know, po- I know it's so exciting, a lot of pokers in the fire and also yeah. just a lot of work we've been attending to. So, um, exactly. A lot of competing yeah. priorities. Exactly. And for mm-hmm. those of you out there that are ever interested in doing your own thing and going out on your own, one of the hardest things is finding a way to kind of do it all. It's like you have to build it while you do it, meaning like you've got to be doing your work and then you've also got to be building a business so that you can keep doing your work. <laughs> building the plane while in flight. Exactly, exactly. So it's super challenging at times. Um, but it's exciting because, um, you know, and Chris and I, we've been, like she mentioned, we've been talking about doing this podcast. And so one of the first things we really wanted to dig into was how um, our program was designed, the COVID crisis leadership development program, which is a mouthful. We designed intentionally for women and that is who our participants are. And they're, aren't they phenomenal? They really are. I'm so grateful to be able to spend this time with these women. I know they're just smart yeah. and articulate and heartfelt. Yeah. And by our second session with them, everyone was like, this is our tribe. This is our yeah. little trauma-informed school tribe. <laughs> it's just so interesting how even virtually, how much um, heart can be transmitted. Like we get together and there's just this energy about this space we've created. It's really um it's hopeful. It's inspirational. It's I almost like therapeutic. It's, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's almost like therapeutic. I mean, clearly we don't set out to be doing therapy where, you know, building capacities with folks, but it ends up feeling that way because of, I think the, the connections that we're able to make. Yeah. Um, And I, and I think that is really just true because of the way that these women have just, um, embraced yes. the, 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 the process and, and been willing to be vulnerable with it. 
um, yes. trusting kind of the, the, the sacredness of the conversations and being able to kind of bring real life experience and wisdom. Not, you know, it's not just talking heads on, on the video screen, but that we really are connecting because, because we keep the group small, that people really have the opportunity to be an individual within the group. Yes, yes, definitely. And, you know, so one of the things that um, has emerged as a theme in our discussions, and we've been, you know, talking with this group about things like um, felt sense of safety in their, in their experiences as school leaders, um, you know, how they, if and how they experience that, and then what are challenges to that. And we've talked about can, you know, efforts to convey cues of felt safety um, through communication. And, you know, just we've talked a lot about um, the somatic experience, I would, I guess you could say, of mm-hmm. being a school leader. And what's really interesting that is the thread today we want to focus on is how much that is a unique experience for women. So, um, you know, and I, and I, so I was, I was, so when we were talking about this, Chris and I were saying that, like, it makes me think back to my days as a little women's studies student at the University of Delaware, like 25 years ago, when I first was exposed to this whole idea that, like, um, you know, the, a, fem- a woman's experiences were separate and unique, perhaps from a man's. And one of the concepts that I encountered was this idea of the divine feminine. And it's sort of like, I think that's been just been a part of me. I think when I learned about it, it spoke to uh, an, a place within me that already existed, but didn't have language for, or wasn't named. And since that time, it's definitely something that I have carried forward in the work that I do, which is honoring sort of these, these characteristics and features that are traditionally feminine. Um, and so what I mean by that are things like intuition and um, generosity and nurturance and sustenance and, um, you know, these things that a lot of times in our culture we have more or less said are a bunch of crap are that kumbaya stuff that doesn't matter or that is, um, you know, not disposable, but just like, you know, not necessary. We've basically mm. said it's not necessary in, in our schools or in our, um, and it's like, how is that, mm-hmm. you know, like we're just, we're in schools doing the hard work of teaching and learning. And, you know, that it, that's all just very like, you know, linear and boxed and square and predictable. And, and the reality of it is it's anything but right. So, you know, I don't know. So like, I'm kind of wondering like how that resonates for you when you hear about this concept of like the divine feminine or this idea that there are characteristics hmm. associated with with women that are that are distinct and separate from maybe men mm-hmm. and how those how those characteristics and features have been treated or been viewed yeah um well and it's interesting because I, it makes me think so much about how I was brought up in my childhood mm. and um, being the oldest and uh, clearly my father really probably would have loved to have had a son first, but he had to wait almost 12 years for that. So he had me, but so I was, I was 
very much expected to, you know, do the chores and do things and be with my father in a way that I was doing things that typically male children would be invited to do. But because I was permitted into that world by default, I also saw how my mother and other women were marginalized um, or undervalued. And I had decided early on that that was not going to be me. And I, and, but, which and, explains and, a lot. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had, but, it, you know, and, but not having the benefit of, of, of this language and, and being trauma informed or even the, the types of friendships that I have now and, and the guides in my life, um, or even just that personal self understanding. Anyway, I, my, my response to that, the way to protect myself from that was to reject all things that were feminine. Hmm. And I wanted, you know, kind of to be a tomboy. And, and, and that's not to say that, you know, I, I didn't have my girly girl moments, but generally speaking, I was very guarded about what the things that, that were, were quote unquote feminine to me and was very particular about what are those attributes I would embrace or at least um, intentionally embrace. And it wasn't until I got probably honestly much older, which is kind of sad, but at least I finally got there and was a mother and met truly strong women that I was just like, wait a second, like women are awesome. We are so strong and we rock. And I'm not strong in spite of the fact that I'm a woman, I am strong because I am. And then all of a sudden the gloves came off and like, I I own more pink items than you can imagine. And it's very (laughs) symbolic for me because I was just like, nope, I am leaning into my femininity. I'm proud of it. And, and I think that, you know, some of the things that kind of are, are happening in our culture right now, and I'm, I'm really working at understanding rejection of binary gender and, and being really compassionate and understanding about that. But this part of me is like, no, I just got here and I'm proud of my femininity and I don't want that to go away. <laughs> <laughs> I want us to stay on this track because I feel like women are finally gaining traction in their voices. Um, and I don't want anyone's voice to be marginalized. Um, I just feel like it's really, really important that we get that balance back in our culture. I know. And it's interesting because I'm more hesitant to have this kind of conversation now simply because of what you're speaking to, which is that there is this whole movement, um, you know, related to wanting to abolish essentially or, or get rid of this, but this binary thinking of men and women or this binary conceptualization of gender. And um Although I can sort of see, and I do understand that to some extent that is a social conceptual construct, mm-hmm. it's also, I think it's, it's complex. It's really complex. And yes. so, and I also sort of feel like it's almost too fast of an evolution because we've been in this, in our country anyways, we've been so for so long dominated by um, patriarchal ways of being. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, reason and uh, logic and strength and fortitude, these have been the values of our um, dominant culture for so long that um, I'm not ready yet to race towards, you know, eradicating the feminine. Because to me, like one of the things that I love so much about being a part of the trauma-informed movement is that in many ways, the ways in which we are trying to help others transform 
their school experiences is to bring intentionally and deliberately in more characteristics of what has been, you know, historically feminine. So this, this notion of diminishing, you know, power over structures, this notion of um, building a space that is nurturing and cultivating and um, of the human experience and, 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 and conveying cues of safety through, you know, gentleness and tenderness mm. and, and understanding and compassion, you know, all these things that up to this point have really been, and especially in education, have mm. just really not had value. You know, we've just allowed the last 20 years of education to be dominated by standardization, content, uh, instructional strategy, um, evaluation and assessment. You know, there's just been too much emphasis on what I would have, I would say has been more historically the, 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 the masculine. Mm -hmm. um, and not that those things don't maybe have a place, right? Because I think that... Um, Reason and rationality is, you know, a necessary um, necessary for civil civil society, but it's just out of out of balance or in the absence of appreciating that we're human, and so there's more to humanity than just the higher cortical capacities of us as a species. I think after like looking at the list of the attributes of the divine masculine and and the divine feminine, clearly there's there's symbiotic. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, yeah, they're a big, we were just saying, yang. yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's true that too much of either isn't good. You know, we, we talked the other day about how much the pendulum swings and we tend to overcorrect. So that's not to say that this conversation or what we're saying is a rejection of the divine masculine qualities, because we got, we all embody both sets of, of attributes. I guess it's just maybe a, a matter of um, to what degree, you know, right. and that's probably varies by individual and more so probably by just kind of hormonal balances within us. I know it's going to sound ridiculous, but in many ways, we just have been walking around in our world so influenced by um, patriarchal ways of being that we don't, we don't even question it. Um, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't become obvious until I hear a participant or a client say, you know, I don't really speak up in meetings because I am fearful that the men sitting in the room are going to think I sound stupid. Mm. Um, or what I'm, what matters to me that I bring up, they're going to say is not important mm -hmm. because it doesn't have to do with a data point. You know, like the other day I was, you know, in a training and I'm actually blogging about this experience, but I was in a training, uh, it was a social emotional learning conference for a district. And I had one of the male participants who was a, I, I actually had the entire high school math department um, join my session. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because they thought they could just, I, I don't know, I think they thought they could hide in my session. Can I just say that this sounds by definition a tough crowd. Oh my like God. You, like, oh my God. Doing? Like totally hundred percent. I do have to say, I think I might've moved the needle slightly with them, but the guy, I remember one of the teachers actually had the courage to say like, um, what are you talking about with this SEL stuff? Because like, I'm actually teaching algebra. Like that is what I do. I teach math. I don't, there is no time for this other stuff you mm. want me to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was like, right, right. So, 
Like he doesn't even understand why saying something like that to someone like me sounds so incredibly ridiculous and in many ways offensive. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I wasn't mad at him or anything. And I, there's no. a lot that's like in what he's saying, which I is in the blog post I go on about, but um, you know, I mean, we just don't even think about like, we don't actually need people to be human beings when we're teaching. We just need them to get the content we're giving them, you know? And so um, I had a point with this and I don't really remember what it was, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, we, we, we were starting speaking about how. Oh, uh, the patriarchal way. The patriarchal ways right. and not and wanting so to speak up because of the fear of being marginalized by right. people who aren't accessing those same attributes. Exactly. And so his comment was was perfectly illustrative of how much we have been inculcated in this patriarchal way that that essentially when you say we don't have time for this SEL stuff, you're basically saying we don't have time to be human. We got algebra we're doing here, people. (laughs) You know, and I got to get through all my lessons. And that's all that matters is that I get through my lessons and these freaking kids learn what they're supposed to learn so they can test well. You know, my little learning machines. That's all very patriarchal, even though we don't even think about it. You know, well, so. I wonder, and do you think that one of the reasons why um, SEL is gaining traction is because of the neuroscience that has come forward in the last couple of decades? No, that the science has been supporting <laughs> it. No, <laughs> no. And actually, the, uh, actually, no, the um, it's funny because the field of SEL did not was not established in the neuroscience at all, which is evident in how most people, you know, talk about it and, and yeah. develop curriculums for it. Um, no, it actually, you know, I think that that movement emerged out of, honestly, honestly, when I think about it, white supremacy. And what I mean by that is um, I opened a book last night, actually, I was looking through one of my husband's books on applied behavioral analysis. And the first sentence of the book was um, behaviorism, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially said behaviorism is um, a return to ideals you know, or understandings of how to shape behavior, because we now face a more diverse student population. And I was just like, did somebody freaking really write that in black and white in 1998? Because this is an old book. Um, But I was like, that is so freaking racist. It's not even funny, but it's also 100% accurate, which is that field emerged because um, people have, you know, educators have been frustrated that our kids aren't coming in all equally ready to learn. Mm -hmm. And the prevailing uh, assumption around that has been that they come from bad families, parents who don't care, um, communities who are, you know, just drug or crime infested. And, um, and this isn't true just of black and brown kids. This is also true of poor white kids too, but Essentially, it's a, it, it emerged out of frustration on the part of educators to try to get these kids to perform. I mean, I'm just going to tell it like it is. I, 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 can, I feel like I can say that with confidence because I was there at the, at the of SEL. You know, I was the, one of those school counselors back in the late yeah. 90s, early 2000s going, okay, well, you know, the kids are off the hook. I'm not sure what we should do. What, what should we do? And then SEL showed up and I was like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. And then realized yeah. what a bunch of shit that was. But I mean, you know, I, I think that what we're getting at here is, in general, is that, you know, this is a very tense time in our history as Americans. However, it's also really fertile ground for change. And because we're questioning so much and we're pushing the boundaries on so much and God knows we need to. And so um, it's exciting because 
I feel like here this now has been around now long enough that it has a little bit of visibility. And so people are will, more willing to partner with us on, you know, some pretty, um, you know, uh, I don't want to use the rev- word revolutionary, but some pretty, you know, new ways of doing the work. And um, I mean, I definitely get super discouraged when I see reiterations of stuff that has been around for a long time and people claiming that it's the trauma-informed way. And it's like, no, that's just you calling something that's been around forever that didn't really work well yeah, <laughs> uh, or without great confidence and people calling things trauma-informed. But um, what's exciting to me is that in many ways, we're actually ha- at the, at the you know, precipice of being able to really do things differently and have it be widely accepted. So yeah, I mean, that's why I'm so psyched about this new, this new conference that we're, we're working on so that our audience knows we are designing a conference around felt safety in the polyvagal in schools upon the return to in-person learning. That's the theme of the conference is that we get that all many of us are like living in a perpetual state of defense mobilization as a result of this past year. So people are either, you know, really like fight or flight or freeze or some, you know, variation of that. What we're seeing, um, kind of everywhere is uh, educators and school leaders, you know, ex- uh, expressing a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of, well, actually, they either have a case of, you know, severe anxiety about their work, or they are like, have the worst case of efforts, you know what I mean? They're just like, I don't care, whatever, tell me what to do, doesn't matter to me. Like, just, I was totally like, what are efforts? <laughs> I get it. I'm trying to (laughs) trying to censor myself because I really want to just say it. But um, yeah, I mean, people and and sometimes they vacillate between I think once they overwhelm gets so intense in the body experience, then they do the whole like go numb Mm. and check out. And, you know, so anyways, the adults are struggling. The kids are the kids are really struggling. Um, So we just recognize that this is going to need to be the primary, you know, focus for when we actually can all return to school. And, um, you know, and so we're super excited that we're designing the entire conference to essentially be like, how do you cultivate, how do you create felt safety in schools when historically we have done such a poor job of that in many ways. Um, And it's not just about the students and what the students needs. It's about what everyone in a school community needs. So that includes the staff and the school leaders. Everyone's been really hurt by this experience, um, injured in some way by this experience. Mm-hmm. We were, we're stoked because we have engaged a lot of really incredible speakers um, who recognize that we don't really subscribe to an expert model of coaching, consultation, and training. We feel instead that everyone has value, everyone has expertise in their own lived experience, and that that needs to be shared all 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 people from different walks need opportunities to share their experiences and that there's something to, to be gained and something to be shared by, mm-hmm. by, um, by anyone. And so, but it's really cool because we do have some really um, outstanding folks that are joining us, folks like Ingrid Cochran and James Moffat, who's worked with us in the past and Dr. Steve Porges and, um, there's a there's a group out of LA called Make, Meaning Makers Collective, and there's there are these two fabulous women, Judy Fernandez and Michelle Curta. And Michelle was in our conference for a little bit last year. But um, 
you know, so these folks are all taking the concept of felt safety and applying it to their workshop sessions so that our participants can really get that understanding both in the experience of the conference, but also in terms of understanding how to apply this in their schools. It's fun because we've also engaged some sponsors intentionally. So we're not just like out there being like, whoever wants to sponsor us, that's great. We, we actually are going to people that we believe in the service or the products that they provide and that will aid people's experience of felt safety. <laughs> and right. so, you know, we have, and, and the sponsors are like, this is so cool. I feel really good about the design because it does in many ways embody the feminine the, in the design itself. Um, you know, it's very collaborative. It's, it's very like mm-hmm. felt sense, you know, it's very focused on felt sense. It's very um, emergent and dynamic, like, you know, you know, that's, that's what we ladies have yes, to offer. <laughs> it is. But I, and I, and I will say that it's, it is balanced because mm. there is a good mm-hmm. amount of, of science in there, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think there is that that magic that happens yeah. when when we do get that balance right, and we've got the science combined with experience and collective wisdom. Yes, um, that there's there's an alchemy that happens there. And um, amen. That's the word. That's, right that's there. where we need to be. Yeah, yep. that's it right there. And and you know we really just want people who are with us, whatever we're doing with folks, you know whether that's a free webinar online or that's a conference or that's a program that we facilitate, we want people to feel that they're with us and that they're mm-hmm. supported and that they're heard and that they're valued. Um, you know, because that's, that's actually what, you know, you know, this is a learning experience. And so we want to embody the things that we feel would be best to be happening in our schools. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we know our participants learn a lot because we're really working to, to provide them with all the conditions that are necessary to learn a lot you know it's good stuff it's good stuff it is it's really exciting yeah so we're Um, gonna you guys are gonna hear from us more in the coming weeks because we are gonna engage in some conversations with some of our presenters i think i think we're at it and we will oh yeah we won't be absent for so long this going actually like you were saying we've got some pretty exciting um guests to bring on and add to our conversation in the meantime uh, I guess I always love to, I just think about every time I say goodbye, I'm like, okay, in the words of Grandma Edie, be good. But if you can't be good, be careful. <laughs> <laughs>